0: Welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy, a podcast that looks at the inspiration, intention, and actionable steps to help you jumpstart joy in the world, in your life, and in other people's lives. This is your host, Paula Jenkins. Welcome to episode 198 On this week's show, I'm really excited to have an interview with Sister Michelle Lalier. She is a Franciscan sister from Little Falls, Minnesota, and we met doing retreats of at San Damiano Retreat Center in Danville, California, several years ago. It is a real delight to have her on the show because we talk all about her formative years of growing up in Minnesota and then her path to becoming a Franciscan sister. I think you'll really enjoy hearing how she followed her heart and followed discernment, which is the word that many people use when they are in the clergy, of Is this something that she really wanted to do? And then how she went through the formation and the formative years of becoming a sister. We also talk a lot about Franciscan theology, which is exciting to me because I went to Yale Divinity School and just love talking about these topics. And... We also talk about how you can make some changes in your own life if you're looking to really further your own spiritual base or how you can listen to your heart in a heart-centered way and bring that into your own spirituality, whatever your faith may be. Before we get to that, I want to give you all a very warm, warm welcome and say thank you so much always for being here. It means so much that you all tune in each week. If you want to find out more about this show, as we are 198 episodes in, you can find the website at jumpstartyourjoy.com and of course there are always show notes and you can find them at jumpstartyourjoy.com forward slash adventure as part of what Sister Michelle and I talk about is leading a life of adventure. While you're on the website, you want to be sure and sign up for my newsletter, which is Three Things Thursday. And in that weekly newsletter, I talk about the inspiration and tension and action that you can bring into your life that I am gleaning from each of these episodes. It's been a lot of fun having the ability to go a little bit deeper into the topics themselves and share that with all of you on a weekly basis. So you can sign up for that on the website or in the show notes. It's right there. And so uh, without further ado, let's jump into this amazing conversation with Sister Michelle. You guys, I am so thrilled and honored to have Sister Michelle Lallier on. She is a Franciscan sister of Little Falls, Minnesota. Welcome to Jumpstart Your
1: Joy, Sister Michelle. Thank you. It's so good to be here. Yay! <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> From Minnesota oh. to California. Woo!
0: Yes. And it's such a treat to have you on the show. Um, would you like to tell us what you loved most as a child or in school? What were your earliest sparks of joy?
1: Well, I grew up on a farm. I was so grateful in kind of north of the Twin Cities, north of Minneapolis, St. Paul, little French area. And we had horses and cows, and when I was littler we had other farm animals as well. But what gave me the most joy? was being out with the horses and then of course playing with the cats and there was just so much life and I learned about the cycles of life and very early on from two on was out getting on the horses and just waiting 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 till I could join 4-H they told me I could have my parents told me I could have my first horse when I was eight and Mm. I could join 4-H so that thread was just a tremendous source of joy as I grew as a child and toward adulthood. The second piece that was a source of joy, when I was about a year and a half, we moved on to a farm of an older man whose name was Jack Crampton, and he had no living family left. His wife and his son had died. So we became his family. And Jack was like a live-in grandpa, and he just loved us kids. And I just am so deeply grateful for that kind of positive, unconditional love, humor, presence. And I'll just tell you one story as an example of the kind of joy he brought in my life. When we were little, I don't know, just a few years old, old enough to watch TV, somehow we heard on a program that there were seven oceans. Now we're living in Minnesota. There may be 10,000 lakes, but there's no ocean. And so we're like, well, what makes an ocean? Well, it has salt. So he offered and he took us out in the old manure spreader the Alice Chalmers we sat up front with him, and we brought salt shakers, and we salted every pond on the farm, and that was our making oceans on our property. And that's the kind of care and playfulness that he brought into my life. Isn't that beautiful?
0: That's amazing. That's so amazing.
1: It's just precious, and and just the humanity of it. Because what's behind us? The manure spreader. It was <laughs> fragrant. That's farm life. Very yeah. fragrant.
0: Oh. Well, it seems so idyllic in some ways. I mean, I have, as the audience probably knows, a deep-seated love for Minnesota. I grew up there from ages 5 to 10. Yeah. That's right. So going from the farm and those amazing memories, how is it that you stepped into becoming a Franciscan sister? How, What was that path?
1: Well, it was bumpy. Mm. <laughs> I finished high school and was really... Not sure what to do. So I started a two year generic kind of associate of arts degree while I was working at my dad's office. I found out I did not like office work, the work itself, the files and such, but I loved the human relations part of it. And so that was just interesting to notice. As a young adult, I came into my own faith. I would say I'm, I grew up Catholic, I'm still Catholic, but um, I was able to. Meet other young adults, we'll say, who are on a spiritual path. And it was a young adult group. If you've ever heard of Young Life, it's an interdenominational group. There was a a Lutheran seminarian in this town of Forest Lake. By then we lived in town. And I was probably 19 years old. And I went to this Bible study called the Over the Hill Gang. Now, Mm -hmm. 19 years old and over the, it was because life is geared to high school. So this was the Over the Hill Gang and i went on my first retreat and i again i was probably 19 years old and i thought wow i mean i was on a sacrament retreat or something to learn as a kid growing up in public high schools but to go for a whole weekend with other young people and learn more about our faith and what i heard out of that retreat was an exhortation that we as young men and women before we were married before in those days they talked about a career track or house payments or family growing that we go learn more about our faith. So I took that to heart, and I started looking at Baptist seminaries. And my parents, they're like, Baptist, well, why, why not look at some of the Catholic schools? And i like, this I've never articulated this before, but I said, well, because Catholics aren't Christian. And they were a little bit surprised. <laughs> they didn't know that that was what I was learning. <laughs> and I, it wasn't that anyone told me, but somehow... I picked it up by the particular group of people or what, I don't know. And so they said, well, before you would decide, we'll support you. We want you to go on and learn more about your faith. But before you decide, let us give you a plane ticket. They talked about it overnight. They offered me a plane ticket the next day. Well, I'm from the farm in Minnesota. I'm going to take a plane ticket. (laughs) So off I went to uh, Ohio and a group of, well, actually I landed in Pittsburgh group of young people picked me up from was called the College of Steubenville at the time. And off we went in this very dilapidated jalopy towards the college. And I'll never forget as by this time, I probably was 20. And we came up this hill. And halfway up the hill, I could just feel this. I don't know how to describe it It was like my heart felt home. I cannot explain it, but there was a spirit of the place going up that hill. We got up the hill, and they started the orientation, and I, I just had a blast and saw some movies about St. Francis, this guy 800 years ago that just touched my heart because he was so passionate about life and love. And But what touched me the most and what got me on the path to becoming a Franciscan was meeting the friars, which means brothers, so the Franciscan friars. And I thought, who are these guys? They just blew me away. Like they were joyful. They were, I don't know, real, really just authentic themselves. And they could drink a beer. Now, why was that important? Because in this young adult group, I had picked up messages that being Christian, you didn't drink, you didn't dance, you didn't play uh, cards, you didn't certainly didn't pray to Mary. Of course, you weren't Catholic. And suddenly I met these guys and I knew in my heart of hearts, they were the real deal. And Mm -hmm. so it moved through what I had kind of unconsciously picked up. And I was awake, like, I want to know more. And so by the end of that weekend, I knew that's where I needed to go to school. And so that's what I did. I transferred in as a junior later that year and finished out my bachelor's in theology. Now, as a farm kid, I had no idea you could do ministry as a lay person. I only saw the mission priest. And mm-hmm. so I, I decided that's really what I wanted to do was lay ministry. So I got a job right out of college at a parish in Minneapolis, South Minneapolis. And uh, that senior year at Steubenville, the link to Franciscan is, within the Franciscan family, in the last 35 years, both the, in the third order, so it's a complex family tree, can't get into it all now, but I'm part of what's called the third order. Many of us can recognize the complexity of our own family trees. And so there is, it began as lay men and women, married, single, doing, having their shops, raising their families, who said, we want to follow you too, Francis? but we don't feel called to go off and leave our families and live with a brotherhood or follow St. Clair and live with a sisterhood. So these lay men and women, Francis wrote a very, very simple kind of gospel-based rule of life. And out of that group, there were groups over time in the first few decades of men and women who felt called, well, look, there's these kids not being educated. Look, there are these people traveling from town to town in rural Italy, and they're, they're at risk because there's nowhere safe for them to stay at night outside the city walls. So they built hospices. And so that's what developed the community that I'm currently part of called the third order regular. Mm. Uh, How that works, those branches of the third order is when I was on campus as a young adult, I was asked if I wanted to be part of starting again, a new secular Franciscan fraternity. It had died years before, but now with the new rule in the 1980s, they were starting again. So I was in that founding group of young men and women learning about St. Francis, learning about a simple life, learning how to relate with others as sister and brother, and I loved it.
0: Mm.
1: However, Mm. when I graduated, I thought, I'm a little young here at 22 to make a life promise, they call it, to the secular Franciscans. I'm going to go back to Minnesota, work in the parish, and see what comes up. So Mm. that's what I did. And within (laughs) about two years, I realized I was missing the community. Yeah. And so I found a group of young adults at a place I was volunteering called Listening House, and we co-founded a new fraternity in the Twin Cities. Frater is like brothers, so a new brotherhood or sisterhood of lay men and women, all of us young adults. We called ourselves Anawim and Theos, which is Greek and Latin put together. Yeah. To us, it means the poor little ones moved by the spirit. Um, we really were being moved by the spirit to found in the new rule, this gospel way of life. And we started our own listening house of outreach to people on the streets. I was very happy with it. Great young men and women, very passionate about living the gospel. But after those two or three years in that, I was still restless. I wanted, how would I say? I wanted more, (laughs) Well, that's the eternal God question, isn't it? Um, <laughs> yeah. I wanted more in the sense that I wanted to live together, not just meet together. I wanted to make decisions together. I wanted to serve together. And so the the shadow lands of this whole journey is that there was a priest at Steubenville one day in my senior year who came up to me and said, "Have you ever considered the single life?" And I went, "No, <laughs> <laughs> I'm the." Why would I consider a single life? This is part of the charismatic renewal. So they had lay brotherhoods and sisterhoods as well as religious life options. And I did not want it. That's what I can tell you. I did not want it. I wanted to be a lay person. I did not want to be what my stereotype was of sisters. And that was influenced by my limited exposure to sisters as when I was a little kid. And they seemed kind of otherworldly and they were wearing their habits and they were good women. Yes. Uh, in, including my great aunt, but nothing in me drew me to be like that. So, long story short, she was Benedictine. And of course, I the Franciscans, I'm like, oh, there's different kinds. I didn't right. know that. Um, so, I made a commitment when I left Steubenville that I would contact the Franciscan community and continue that discernment. And I got a spiritual director up in the cities. Um, so, I went to Little Falls, it was prior to internet use. And it's uh, the only one I knew of because I worked with some of these people in the parishes. And I thought, well, they're good ladies. I'll go visit them. So I visited them and I loved it. Mm-hmm. Beautiful women, deep spirit, very peaceful energy at the mother house in Little Falls. But I was terrified. How do I be myself with all these women? How do I be myself? And by this time, I'm in my mid 20s. How do I be myself? when so many of them are older than I am. I just couldn't imagine it. So I ran the other way, you might say, figuratively speaking, and continued with the secular Franciscan community. In the end, it took about six and a half years of my discerning with a spiritual director, trying dating, realizing that the question of religious life was still haunting me, being part of our secular Franciscan fraternity, and that mix, the messiness of discernment or decision-making at times under the lens of faith. But there did come the time, I think it was 1986 in the summer, I was going to training for spiritual direction. I met a guy there who was just an amazing man of spirit, fell in love. Now, mind you, I'd never fallen in love before. Mm -hmm. I was always in control. I dated, but as soon as the guys would get to be too close, I'd break it off. And that has to do with my family history and fear and healing work I had to do from growing up, which I did over those years. So the the reality that I actually fell in love said that I was free enough to let go of control. At that moment, I knew I was not running from marriage, that I, in fact, could freely choose religious life. Mm-hmm. And so within months, I had moved into what's called the novitiate as a lay person. I was still working at Listening House. Got my or, my affairs in order, which wasn't much. I didn't have much. I had an old car and my grandmother's sewing machine. And my books, <laughs> that was it. Yeah. So I brought my books and sold my little car and gave the sewing machine to my sister and I was ready to go. <laughs> wow! Mm. Uh, so I was 29 years old when I entered and I've never doubted it since.
0: That's amazing. Ooh, and there's so much to the part about your falling in love and realizing that you were free to choose like
1: yep. that is that's beautiful <laughs> it's so true I called yeah. my spiritual director because it was within two weeks of falling in love and I'm now I'm thinking about religious life with joy instead of dread and mm-hmm. I called her and I said I think I'm crazy I've been dating and I've been <laughs> you know testing and she's like hmm read your journal and come in next week. <laughs> yeah. So I read my journal. And the ironic thing was, it was written all over the place in other words, but I couldn't see it. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like a veil lifted. When I knew that I was loved, you might say, and actually that friendship, it was with a priest. And that reality of people living in God's love, male, female, single, married, doesn't matter. It's mm-hmm. what we do with it. So learning how to tend the beauty of the awakened spirit that yearns for more and finds that in embodied people. But it's actually more than that. It's a hunger size for God. And Mm -hmm. so Father Dan and I were very dear friends, and he companioned me through a number of years, both of us in spiritual direction, very careful about our boundaries, but a very deep gift of friendship that walked with me through my entire initial formation, and when I went to Nicaragua to serve, and when I came back, and when I came back, I was like 13 years after our first having met. And it's like we had transitioned to a new season of relationship. So we're friends, but not good friends. And he's he lives in Iowa. He's moved on and does what he does. And we occasionally see each other. But it's not the kind of intentional, significant friendship. It was those first 13 years that I think God knew. I needed a healthy male peer, uh, very deeply spiritual, very wise to mm. walk with me through that. And now I have current circles of friends that are are more significant, but it's still a heart connection because that never goes away. It's still yeah. there.
0: That's beautiful. And I mean I'm I, I'm struck knowing some of the history of Francis and Claire, that is there kind of a parallel for each of us in, in the way that they had a really special relationship and isn't there some i feel like father rusty who's someone we all we both have in common right. he tells the story of how they would meet at the pergola on the hill and the town would know that there was love in the air like just that they that's loved right. each other so much they were dear friends and right. and had a love of christ and a delight in the creation that they were sharing together right. in a completely platonic way but that that was like that's that love
1: that you're talking about Right. There's a beautiful legend, and it's from the Little Flowers of St. Francis. And in this legend, they talk about how at the bottom of the hill below Assisi, there's kind of the birthplace of the order. It's called the Porzioncola, the little portion. Mm -hmm. And that down there, it was in the fields. It was actually a very swampy place. It's where the poor lived. It's where the lepers were outside the city wall. That's where the brothers started. And Claire, by that time, had felt this movement of the spirit and followed. She had founded what are called now the Port Clares. They lived in San Damiano, also outside the city walls, but at, below another part of the city. And the brothers and sisters had arranged for a rather, at that point, rare visit, we think, of the brothers of St. Francis with St. Clair and some of the brothers and sisters. And they gathered at that um, woody area down at the bottom of the hill. And the people in town thought that there was a fire they literally came down with buckets and water and went to try to put out the fire under the, the city. And when they got there, they saw the brothers and sisters around a little table wrapped, r w r a p t wrapped in like God's presence and love mm-hmm. and sharing about God. And they hadn't even touched their food. They were just sharing spiritual life. And it was yeah. like fire.
0: That, yeah, that is beautiful. It feels like there is something about that spirit that is just what woven throughout. Yes. What it means to be Franciscan. I mean, I think it also is very much what it, I mean, in my heart, I believe that is what it means to be Christian is that you are so delighted and so overjoyed and so completely, I don't know, amazed by the creation that you can't yes. help but fall in love with it again and again and again. Like, that's right. That, yep. That's that's what the message of Christ is to me. And mm-hmm. and, and I love that having been a Lutheran, um, I think Lutherans often have that same kind of sense about them. And my experience at Yale Divinity School, there was a lot of that there, too. But then I saw it. It's interesting to hear you talk about what you sensed and felt when you met the brothers mm-hmm. in the Franciscan order is that they have that. They mirror that back at you of the delight right. and the joy and the the abundance that so often gets missed in so many denominations, but that it's there. And that's kind of the heart and that story in, of of the townspeople coming down thinking there was a fire, but there was such energy at the heart of this whole, you know, the beginning even of Francis and Claire, like I amazing.
1: (laughs) So, so what I would say at the heart, as you said, of the Franciscan tradition is universal. It's not Catholic or not Catholic, it's right. human. It's a human experience and a recognition that we are all one. Mm. It's a mystical experience of communion. And part what's lifted up in terms of the Christian context would be the that that we're the one body of Christ. But beyond that, we're also the one family. We're the human family. And so that we're all kin. And in a in a God-centered context, we would say that God. Uh, Where God created us, and we are therefore all part of that family. But whether or not people are people of faith, this recognition of finding a, a connection with another, often through story, mm-hmm. often through shared experiences, often in nature, that we find a, an experience of kinship or enkindling that is about knowing and being known, and we recognize it's all gift. And that all is one. And so the Franciscan perspective as we live out of that love life is that we want to nurture life. There's another story of St. Francis when he was first looking and he had been um, uh, in those days, the feudal system was breaking apart 800 years ago. Mm -hmm. And he was part of the young men who went out to war, to war against these other newly emerging city states. So, for example, Assisi was fighting with one of the neighboring cities of Perugia. He was taken a prisoner of war. Many died. He was put in, you might say, a hellhole and underneath the road in the earth, got very sick. He was there for a year before his father could ransom him out. He came out very ill and probably with what we would call post-traumatic stress syndrome, as we might articulate it now. He Mm -hmm. was lost. He didn't want to go back into his dad's shop and sell. He couldn't go back to the party life that his father had sponsored for him. He couldn't find his center again. Or maybe he'd never found it. He'd only been the party guy. Mm -hmm. And so he um, wandered. And in that wandering, he found himself in nature and in prayer and seeking counsel. And at one point, he became a hermit. That was a way someone could become do reparation for their life, a penitent, you might say. And so for his the way he formerly lived that no longer fit. And um, very interesting, he was praying before this six-foot cross. It's called the San Damiano Cross. Saint Damien, Saint Cosmos were doctors. And so the church was Saints Damien and Cosmos. This particular icon was in San Damiano uh, in honor of Saint Damien. It was a Byzantine cross with beautiful figures in uh, an Eastern which is a art, art form, but from from the uh, Gospel of St. John. People, animals, it's all there. The community is right there. Jesus is hanging on the cross, and his wounds are there, but he's also glorified. It's a very interesting piece of art. He was praying for this in front of this statue, which was taller than he was, because he was very small. And he heard before this cross, my church which translated could also say my home, my house, is falling into ruin. Repair or rebuild my house, rebuild my church. That touched him so deeply, it gave him direction. And he began to beg for bricks, and he began to rebuild these little falling apart churches that had been abandoned in the dismantling of the feudal system. And again, San Damiano was one of them. That rebuilding the church, that's what is also at the core of our Franciscan spirit is, as Francis realized it was, okay, you can rebuild a house with bricks. But more than that, what about the living stones of the people? People mm-hmm. who are suffering, people who are lost, people who are on the margins. And to rebuild by bringing people into the communion through relationship, sharing what we have, this his love of whom he called Lady Poverty, not being attached because all that was his, he said was his own sin. Everything else was a gift of God. So that's kind of the values. continual conversion we would call it, constantly turning to God, turning to our neighbor. That in doing that in love brings forth humility. It brings forth what we call um, minority being we choose the voluntary sense of poverty that others may have, as Dorothy Day said, we live simply so others can simply live. And, uh, and then that, how that flowers in contemplation, gazing with love and contemplating all of life and bringing that in praise to God. So being reconcilers, peacemakers, lovers and carers of creation, in short, we would call it a tradition of the heart and a wisdom tradition, not a systematic theology, but a wisdom tradition. Oh,
0: yes. Oh, there's so much to unpack in there. I'm moved because I really love the book um The Wisdom Jesus by Cynthia Borgio. and I hope yeah. I'm <laughs> pronouncing her last name correctly. Yeah. I mean yeah. it literally it's one of my top 5 favorite books of all time. There's something about how she describes kind of that the abundance of love pouring out and yes. and for those who aren't familiar I'll link it up. It's it's a very good read from anyone who's interested in theology at all. And it's a very different read on Christ and his role and how, and maybe why he even came, but that it was more of this wisdom tradition than Mm -hmm. someone coming to set up more rules is maybe the other side of it. Um, But just this idea that the Trinity is just love uh, abundantly pouring out again and again into each other. Yeah. That just, I had to read that book like three times. I knew I loved it, but it was so complex that it
1: mm-hmm, took me mm-hmm. a while. <laughs> well, I'll relate that to a specifically Franciscan context as well, because all of these yeah. illuminate each other. And we're mm-hmm. really at a time of history, as one of my teachers, Angelus Arian, said, where we need to be braiding the traditions so that we are strengthened in in wisdom that is grounded enough to meet the complex challenges of today. So mm-hmm. another book to add to your list, if you haven't read this, I really encourage you or your listeners is Eager to Love. Mm-hmm. And um, I think the subtitle is "An Alternative orthodox, The Alternative Orthodoxy of St. Francis of Assisi, something like that. It's by Richard Rohr. Yeah. And it's a book of his where he goes through, tells the story of Francis in a very accessible theological way. And one of the great insights, I think, It picks up on St. Irenaeus, some of the early fathers of the church, Mm -hmm. that where many churches went was with like an atonement theology, and even, I would say, the the dominant traditions in the Catholic tradition of uh, Jesus came and died for our sins, and he's the redeemer, which is true, but Mm -hmm. it is not the whole picture. And so that at this time in history, really, it's time to lift up alternatives that complement and put in perspective that tradition. And so people like John Duns Scotus was a theologian after St. Francis, and he's one who probably most integrated this field of thought that's in St. John's Gospel, some of Paul's writings about Jesus would have come no matter, because Mm -hmm. it was part of the Trinity, this communion of love, this overflowing fountain of love that overflowed into the Son and was sent forth in all of creation through the Spirit, this overflow of love that then when we're in communion flows through us, moves us to be eager to love, and that God didn't need to come here to save us. God has the will, capacity to save us no matter, and that is God's will. Mm -hmm. We all go through our clearings, our cleansings, our purifications. Uh, That is very true. Sin is very real. But it is not the underlying story and it is not the end of the story. And so that original sense of goodness, harmony, beauty, that's how in a Franciscan moral vision we would look at morality is hmm. through an artist's lens of beauty and music and symmetry and harmony and what brings more wellness and wholeness and harmony into the world. And there, it's a very deeply rooted alternative to the dominant modalities of looking at morality. And again, there's a thicker book called The Franciscan Moral Vision, if anyone's a (laughs) deep thinker and really likes to grapple with concepts. uh, Several authors wrote that here several years ago, and it's a phenomenal exposition of the the philosophy that grounds it, the Mm -hmm. orthodoxy of it, and then the implications of living it in today's world. I, that's what excites me, gives me joy to think about how we can bring deep heritage and history forward and translate it to meet the very real challenges we face on political, social, familial, international levels at this point in time, In term, including the divisions of our own hearts that, that we live. That's where it starts. Yeah,
0: because I think it's so easy, especially... Well, and depending on a church or a tradition that someone is coming from, that's so, unfortunately, I feel so many traditions come from a departure point of it being more of a transactional nature of God, mm-hmm. meaning yes. we yes. are good and rewarded, we are bad, and then we are going to hell. I mean, right. and that transactional nature, I, I no longer really I can still believe in the concepts around it, but I don't, I don't necessarily believe that Christ came because we were naughty. Like, right, <laughs> and right. I think you're right. Like you just said, that's, I feel like God said, okay, you guys want rules. Here they are. Here's these 10 commandments. If this is what you need. And then God said, well, no, here's my son. I want you to know how much I love you. You're you guys are preoccupied with all these rules. Let me just show you, you right. know, it's, And that it's this different departure point and a different way of feeling into faith. That it's so easy to get stuck in the transactional part because that's by nature, I think, who humans are. And that we—it's hard for us to get into the space of trusting completely with our hearts that there's something bigger than us that loves us completely. Like that's
1: right. That's and then (laughs) and then for us as human beings, the invitation of letting ourselves be wholly loved by God. Yes, and our parents do their best, and all of us—they weren't able to fully be there, and we aren't either, for each other. But it gives us a taste, a flavor of what the potential is in human relationships. Is it not transactional? Mm-hmm. It is about mutual self-giving. It's about—it's about reciprocity. It's about love. And so, as we grow in our relationship with God, Saint Teresa of Avila said this centuries ago. Sometimes our experience of God, we, we just are overwhelmed in a prayer or in nature and, and suddenly it changes our heart and we can love others better. And sometimes in a breakthrough, of a, 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 an amazing experience of intimacy with another human being, then I've heard parents talk about that when their kids are born, that, mm-hmm. that something that changes, it radically alters, and that can affect our relationship with God. We get a glimpse of God's nature in that, in the love for the child. Mm -hmm. Mm, Um, Yes. (laughs) There's a mystery in that, that we're called to move beyond transactional and into mutual self-giving, but we can't give what we don't have. And that's where the self-responsibility of doing our own inner work, of whatever needs healing or forgiveness from our stories, and all of us have those pockets, whatever Mm -hmm. has shut down in our hearts to protect ourselves, how we reopen them. And one of the great practices for that is gratitude. As Angelus Aaron would say, it's hard to be grumpy when you're grateful. <laughs> and, and there's something about breaking through the vestiges. When I lived in Nicaragua, uh, Sister Carmen and I were the two that were there the last five years um, and others had moved on earlier. And And what was amazing, we lived in this squatter settlement. There was violence all the time. The, the drug gangs had moved in. There was tremendous anxiety and fear. People were at survival levels. And for me, how do I keep my heart open to that level of suffering? The glue think kids at the market that are just trying to kill the hunger pain and, and the fear at night because they're so vulnerable and they're homeless. And um, the, the women down the street who would get beaten or the kids that would then get neglected. It was, it was, it happens, right? It's a human condition at times, but when you're on such poor situation, it is in stereo, very, very, very present. And to keep one's heart open and present for me, the link was grief. The grief work. If I could grieve the six-year-old kid who never got enough nutrition, his brain will never mature. And yet if we can do an intervention with his younger brother or sister Mm-hmm. and get them better protein he has or she has a better chance and so what is in the sphere of my influence it was very dra- dramatized in nicaragua but it is when i just visited san francisco last month how many homeless are right there mm-hmm. and how many right here in central minnesota uh, we have a youth house that one of our young adult volunteers works in because there is a number of homeless youth here and a great problem with human trafficking through Minnesota, the international port in Duluth, into Minneapolis, lots of immigrants, lots of people being trafficked. Yeah. Um, how do we respond to that? And it has to start in our own hearts that we befriend the homeless parts of ourself, be strengthened in relationships, and then give what we have so generously received, give it to others.
0: Mm. It strikes me that that is that befriending of uh... I mean, there's some work, I think I'm thinking of Debbie Ford and the shadow self and um, mm-hmm. what is it, the dark side of the light chasers. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's a very similar piece, more in the, the self-help genre, not necessarily specifically Franciscan, of course, but that there is that bigger, larger movement happening of accepting those parts of ourselves that maybe don't feel as good or that we would mm-hmm. really prefer, you know, maybe went away. Um <laughs> Right, and right. I know um, when we got to see each other, you even brought up Brother Cockroach.
1: I know. <laughs> and I've thought of
0: him since we, we met. And I don't know if you want to share, because I think where I'm headed with this is like, I think a lot of people probably hear these kinds of things and think, yes, I would love to heal those pieces of myself, or I'm curious about what that looks like.
1: Uh-huh. And then they
0: don't really know how to start. So I don't know if the Brother Cockroach story or that comment helps. And I'll, I'd love It's a fun to explain one. it. So, yeah.
1: yeah, I will. So I was working in a parish at the cathedral in Fargo at the time, and I was getting ready to move to Nicaragua. And there was a new associate pastor, and they had this little going away party for me. And uh, he wrote a card. So he hardly knew me. He'd just moved in, but he knew enough. He wrote a card, and great that you're going And And then he wrote in the, the sidebar, he said, don't forget to love Brother Cockroach, too. Now, because he'd been learning about Francisca and this sense of kinship and brotherhood and sisterhood. And so it extends to creation, right? Brother, sun, sister, moon. And it includes brother cockroach. Well, it struck me as rather funny, but let me tell you, moving there, there were plenty of big cockroaches there. (laughs) And so it was like, that's what it looks like. It's a friend of mine's babysitting her grandkids today. And one is really, 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 really active, you know, just wild active full of life and vitality and curiosity and well that's it too you know how do we love our little brother here who is so hyperactive at this point and he's just trying to express his life energy and learning how to do it constructively Mm -hmm. for me one of the ways that would take shape i love what i do um i love being connected with the people i'm connected with And this has been my entire life from junior high on, I have a lot of life energy and it's very hard for me to go to bed and time because Mm. I get up in the morning and my natural rhythm is a night owl. And so part of the discipline or tending work I need to pay attention to is that I have the discipline to go to bed at a timely hour. So I'm up for morning prayer. We pray 7.15 or 7.30 in the morning, depending on what's happening that day as a local community and so for me that's a, a discipline that i need to practice mm. yeah
0: and it is always a, I mean not specifically the the going to bed and the waking up but whatever the brother cockroaches in your own life like that is the yeah. practice of, of saying yeah. okay i love you <laughs> like uh-huh. you're, you're here sure. <laughs> <laughs> you're here and you're present and yeah, i yeah. love you
1: yeah mm. Now, one more piece about that. This comes from Angela's Arian's um, reflection that as we begin to do our inner work, we're going to have to get to the root of some of what's in our hearts. And in our hearts, we may be sad. Maybe a parent or a grandparent has died. Uh, we may, may be angry because something is not going our way, or we may be anxious. Uh, one of the men that was on retreat over the weekend that I gave in San Francisco. He was anxious because he had rent control and the owner had just died. The Mm -hmm. son had inherited the property in San Francisco. And if I don't know if I have this straight, but if the son would sell it or there would be conditions under which he would lose the rent control Mm -hmm. and then he wouldn't be able to afford to live in that area. And that very real anguished anxiety as a retired person, he had newly retired, what was going to happen? Uh, you know, I can feel with and for that. So anyway, Angelus Arian, when we tap into the fears, maybe it's jealousy because someone else got a promotion and we didn't or whatever. Maybe it's we feel hurt or disappointed. Angelus would say we have to welcome the the reality of the emotions or the feelings that come because they are there. They exist. But we don't let them. She uses the image. We don't have to let them trash our house. Mm. ourself. And so she would use the imagery, say it was jealousy. Oh, jealousy, welcome to my porch, but you cannot trash my house. So there's a way that we acknowledge and try to receive the gift of what it's trying to tell us, but we don't let it take us over and drag us down Mm. or disturb the interior peace. And I think that is also a place of discerning or sifting and sorting What do I take in fully? What do I need to let go of? How do I bring forward the learnings so that I'm a wiser person for the next round and not just push away an experience or a feeling? Right.
0: Or let it, the other side of that, let it take over the thing, uh, your space or, you you know, maybe an example if someone's not quite following me there, but how do you let the person maybe who cut you off in traffic, Mm. you, you say, yes, I see you there, anger. And then you decide mindfully, intentionally, that that's not going to be the thing that defines the rest of your day. Because right. what does that add?
1: <laughs> what does that that's add right. to all of our creation? Nothing. That's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And how that can help for me, how to make that decision that ahead of time, because I've, I've driven in traffic out there. It's yep. it's nasty. <laughs> anyway, I I envision how I might respond if that situation would come up again. So I already have a pathway in my imagination. For example, I can just laugh at, there it is again, another person, Mm. you know, in a hurry, or there I am, pissed again, you know, and it's okay. It's okay. We can laugh at ourselves. We can learn and not take ourselves or the situations so seriously. There are things to take seriously, but not to let our inner space be polluted by something that's someone else's stuff. Yeah. And and, and then surprise, we're always going to be surprised. We need to be safe. And that's one of the issues, how to be safe because when we're startled and frightened then we can get angry but it's actually we're afraid you know it's it's all mixed up in there
0: yeah that's a really lovely point too is that lots of times whatever the big emotion that comes out of whatever the small injustice or infraction is i mean usually small you know getting caught, cut off in traffic being a good example again but like mm-hmm. how do we allow ourselves to feel that fear and upsetness and being put out of place but then yeah give it some space and that's also right. recognize the the intensity that's appropriate for the time. Yeah, that's right.
1: And if the intensity is more than the situation warrants, and I know this because I actually had some trauma around traffic and car accidents because oh, of no. things that yeah. happened in Nicaragua and when I was a kid. And so when I got in California, it literally triggered that trauma. And let me mm-hmm. tell you, I was driving up by Sausalito. I wasn't driving. Um, Sister Maureen was driving. And I could see out of the corner of my eye, this red sports car cutting through the lanes. And I was sure it was going to hit us, you know, right in the side. And do you know what I did? Hmm. I grabbed the wheel. We're driving on 101 or whatever it is up there. Yeah. I grabbed the wheel. Sister Maureen, what are you doing? She grabbed the wheel away from me and said, you need to get help. Because <laughs> it was a reaction. It was a survival yeah. reaction, which is what trauma is. So, you know what I did? I brought that to my spiritual director, who, thank God, was co-trained as a counselor. And she said, okay, I'm going to segue here. Stop. This is not spiritual direction. This is me speaking as a counselor. You understand why this happens because of all these other accidents.
0: Hmm. But
1: it is interfering with your life and, in fact, is a safety hazard. So there is something we can do. And I did what was called EMDR. eye movement, desensitization, and reprogramming. One session, an hour and a half, and I've never had a problem since because I understood why the traumatic reaction was happening. I couldn't stop it. It was in every cell of my body to survive. Mm. And so slowing it down and retraining of the brain connection through the eye movement and storytelling, that's all I needed. And to your point, an 18-wheeler went by on 880 while we were having this meeting and I jumped I mean, I'm half a mile away, but I jumped like, oh, my God, they're going to get me. Mm -hmm. And then I took a breath. And then I laughed because what I had, she said, what if you feel this again, like you're, you're, you're going to be annihilated or whatever, and because of someone moving in traffic, or you missed the sign. And I said, well, I could take a breath and ask, does it have anything to do with me Mm -hmm. before I react. And so slow that reaction down. And I did. And then I could laugh. about it.
0: not that a
1: great. That
0: is amazing. Yeah. And thank you for sharing all of that and the vulnerability of it. Um, it, It's powerful to know that and maybe some people listening can also hear that in their own story of there could be something really real in the past that was, in fact, very traumatic and truly upsetting. And you had reason to be fearful for your own safety. But then how that plays through and kind of the healing of trauma. Yeah, I mean, I've had my my own experience with PTSD, which then also I did EMDR and it was amazing once I knew that the truth of the matter was that it was around the birth of my son. But I knew he was safe and I could visually see that he was fine and that the thing that I had worried about, I don't even think he cared about. right? Like, And for Mm -hmm. me to know that he was safe and I could visualize that and go through it truly life-changing and now I can I'm probably now on the other side of it like I'm a little bit more like hands-off than some other people are comfortable with but it's because I'm like I know he's got this like I'm good that's right
1: yeah yeah you're free you're free yeah I am so back to the point of the feelings yeah this was very powerful um again through Angelus's work a great book called Difficult Conversations How to Discuss What Matters Most and then a newer version of that, specifically Christian, that's related to the Harvard Negotiation Project. The introductions read, written by one of those authors of Difficult Conversations. It's called Redeeming Conflict. It's a wonderful book. Um, the subtitle is 12 Habits for Christian Leaders by Ann Garrido, G A R R I D O. Very simple, very beautiful, very practical. Anyway, um, in Difficult Conversations, there's this amazing chapter on emotions and feelings. For any of us like myself who grew up where we didn't talk about it. I mean, I could be mad or sad. I could be happy, mm. but I, I didn't have any way to define or articulate or, or, or understand, identify feelings at any more sophisticated level, which did not serve me as an adult. So anyway, in this book, talking about emotions, they talk about bundling. So back in the day, they used to talk about you could bundle your phone, your internet, and your TV, right? And that gave you a better deal. Well, emotionally, you could bundle all your feelings under the name of sad. That's the place you go. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't help you resolve. Because underneath the sad, maybe there's disappointment, hurt, betrayal, um, fear, uh, hope. And if we can't unbundle the emotions, then we can't deal with each one. And when we try to talk about it in a difficult conversation, it comes out unfinished or mixed messages because we haven't clarified the, the roots. And then with each feeling, we have to say, Now, will this serve in trying to go and reconcile this relationship or talk through this situation? And some of it, I just have to accept this is this person's personality, or, Well, that's pretty petty of me. I need to just let it go. But bring forward what really will help serve the intention in the conversation which may need to a, be a good working relationship or, you know, reconciling a significant friendship or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I found that very helpful.
0: Yeah, that is because I think it is easy, especially when as people are transitioning into that place where maybe they are put on a personal growth journey and they want to become more in touch with whatever's going on, it, what served you as uh, in the past of knowing, oh, I'm just sad or that was a really painful time or bundling that feeling is helpful in some ways there's wisdom in that you can you can name it and then you can operate with the rest of your day but as you start to uncover the rest of it yeah yeah really knowing the the why of why was i so afraid or why did that really make me angry there's there's even more wisdom to be unearthed when you can go into those places
1: yeah and if we don't go in those places those places will sabotage current and future relationships that's yeah. the importance of doing the kind of reconciling, healing, tending work, so we're free to be current in our relationships. And whenever we have a strong reaction or response, we have to say, where is this coming from? And then go back, you know, and work with a friend or a spiritual companion or counselor or, you know, in our journaling, whatever level of support we need to be at peace with our story so we can live free. That's what Jesus came to give us freedom, <laughs> yes. uh, fullness of life, fullness of joy.
0: Yeah. Mm, Yes. And without going into some of the deep and even really hard things now that I have lived through and healed some of the past hurt, I feel like the joy that I can also feel on the other side of it is exponentially bigger. Like I've, I've understood and felt through and worked through the, the harder parts and now the joy comes back and is like magnified in an amazing way that at the yeah. beginning, I would have been like, yeah, right. I don't believe you at all
1: <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> if someone had told me that. But now, no, I see it's totally true. I can really fully be joyful.
1: And I would say with that, Paula, the joy is a, is a gift that's the fruit of it. Mm-hmm. But one of the other fruits that I think is so important at this time in history is compassion. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's compassion yeah. for ourselves being human and limited and at times divided in heart and mind. It's compassion for others, Um, and it's compassion for the systems that we've built over time that have their dysfunctions because people with their dysfunctions created the systems, but they still have some wisdom that they're carrying, and how do we sort through that, and what do we bring forward from that? And so the place of compassion or empathy, uh, solidarity for me is one of the at-risk qualities In the human family, when people are either lost in their trauma or they're hardened because of how much suffering there is out there and have not been able to do their their grief work, the sense of loss, the sense of overwhelm when we think of people at the borders around the world that are on the move, refugees, immigrants, the kinds of violence that we see on TV and sometimes in our own communities or families can be completely overwhelming. And yet doing our own interior reflection and work, seeking out positive, constructive friends or support groups, uh, learning opportunities, and uh, doing the reconciling about that can help us be people of deep relationship and capacity for connection that is deeply meaningful and will bring forth the fruit of true joy.
0: Yeah. Mm. Amen. Amen. That's beautifully put. Thank you. Mm. So if somebody is curious about either the Franciscan tradition or, I mean, here locally for me, if anyone is in the San Francisco Bay Area, there is San Damiano Retreat, which is Mm -hmm. a Franciscan-led retreat center and all are welcome. Um, But if somebody's looking for some way to connect with something that they've heard here, what what would you recommend, um, I don't know, them looking for or reaching out to?
1: Yeah, that's a very good question, huh? (laughs)
0: because <laughs> uh, we
1: talked about a lot
0: <laughs> we did well and'll i'll link up to all the books in the show notes so people yeah, yeah, can find yeah, that yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah yeah uh i do think for one of the pieces for me that has given meaning to my life is living life as an adventure and so if there is in anyone's heart something they've wanted to try they've wanted to do they've wanted to explore to see what they can do to take a next step towards that dream or that that yearning, that hunger. It might be about faith. It might be about nature. It might be about travel. It might be about risking initiating a new friendship or a deeper movement forward in an existing relationship, uh, a place of vulnerability. And I think that's, in, in a way, it has to be self referenced what will bring forth, what wants to be born in my life. So I'll, I'll give you one example that might be helpful. For anyone to apply. This comes from Carl Jung, and it's a wonderful, wonderful resource that I found in the book by David Rico uh, that's called Catholic Means Universal. And it's just a little paragraph, and basically he's quoting Carl Jung, who says that it can be very helpful if we draw, it's called a mandala. If you draw a flower in the shape of a cross, so there's four petals, and in the center is a little circle that's yourself. So in the Bottom well, in the top pedal, you would put what is it that's holding you back in your life? What is it that uh, you're that's difficult? That's he calls it afflicting forces. So it could be, you know, your current understanding of faith, it could be money issues, it could be unresolved um, relationships or emotions, it could be any number of things, right? Maybe not right placement in a job. What's holding you back? What are the afflicting forces? Name or draw them in that first petal up on top. Underneath would be the petal, well, what are the supporting forces? Who are the people? What, how is your faith of resource to you? What are the actual resources of skills or um, education or uh, relationships that you have that can support you? So you're visualizing your life here. And that's that bottom petal, the supporting forces. Then to the left would be what they call the the setting sun of the West. And that one would be, what is it that it's time to let go of? What is it that has died or is dying? Or we need to grieve and let go. And again, that could be anything in your life or anyone in your life that you you take stock of where am I? Write or draw that in that petal. And the final petal to the east, the way of the rising sun is what is it that's wanting to emerge? What is it that's potential that wants to be born? And name it. Again, these, this is where the dreams and the, the, the adventuring comes in your own life or in your own faith, in your relationships. And in doing that, you'd have a visual before you. Like a friend of mine who is an immigrant from West Africa, lived with us for several months in transition. Uh, she was having such a... a very difficult time in transition with English and culture and everything. And I did this with her in kind of my little bit of French and her learning English. Do you know that four years later, she still has that on her wall? She told me this last month. Um, Kadia is her name. And, and she said, you helped me because she had all these obstacles and all these things that had died. And she couldn't think of any resources or what was being born. But I'd lived with her enough and seeing her wisdom and her humor and, and her goodness of spirit, that I could mirror back to her some things she could add. And it's like it gave her, her uh, I don't know, a grip with which to move. Mm-hmm. And I think we can be that for each other. So a second, and, you know, it's a great exercise. I invite anybody to do it or share it. But secondly, consider a spiritual companion, a spiritual director, someone to walk with you in these big horizons of life as you seek meaning and direction and what way will most draw on your gifts and talents uh, angela hering would say it this one way every one of us is born with the perfect architecture to carry out our life dream and then the exact set of experiences we have contribute to it often out of suffering and loss that we deepen our capacity for compassion and for um, understanding that then we can bring forward in the human family, searching for the common good, bringing about uh, that which is yet possible.
0: That's really deep that we're all born with with a specific
1: architecture. Isn't that cool?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I love it. Um, I love this mapping out of the things that, I mean, because I think so often we get hung up on something that's happened in the past and yet it is time for us to let go of it. And until we spend even, I mean, this could take just a few minutes to, You know, what is it that we need to honor and let go of so that something else can emerge? That's really lovely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you.
1: You're welcome.
0: Well, and so lastly, and most joyfully, what are three things that you can think of uh, to jumpstart joy in your life, in the world, or in other people's lives?
1: Well, I could go on and on about that, but (laughs) (laughs) I'll uh, repeat a couple here. Um one is one of the addictions angelus teaches in the human family is the addiction to perfection another one is the addiction to intensity another is the addiction to um, need to know and the last one is the addiction to what's not working rather than what is working and that one I think particularly gratitude and looking at what is working and give and and cultivating a practice of attending, noticing the gift, the good, the tiny little ones and the big ones can help open our heart for the capacity for mutuality, the capacity to be loved unconditionally, strengthen our capacity to love others in ever-increasing ways. And that gives us joy because God, at least in the Christian tradition, we believe God is love, St. John tells us. And so that is our nature. We're made in the image and likeness of God. Our true nature is love. And so, how do we open all the pathways of the heart to be instruments of love, peace, forgiveness, healing, truth telling, uh, justice making? And and I think it starts in a great way right with the groundwork of gratitude. So, a practice I would leave this is a simplification of the Jesuit conscience examine, uh, examine of conscience, and it would be every night to gather with your family or friend or write in your own prayer and name what you're most grateful for from the day and what you're least grateful for for the day. And tracking that over time, we come to a clarity more articulated or clearly understood of how we can choose life in our own life and what we need to let go of because it's death-dealing and drags us down. Mm -hmm. So that would be one way of nurturing life is giving gratitude. Another is the initiating in relationships the hearing of one another's stories, friend or stranger, to find the resonance of spirit, the common heart in the human family is deeply, deeply satisfying and can bring great joy as we witness another's breaking through, um, you know, the kid's little first step, the person's risk and being able to say what they've needed to say. These can bring great joy in our own capacity to live in our own integrity can bring great joy. And finally, I'd return to the theme of life as an adventure and invite us to um, uh, be in nature, explore what we haven't explored, because it it expands our human capacity. We're made for the more. That is our nature. Love is infinite. And our hunger, as our sister Mary would say, our hungers are God-sized. And so tune into that hunger that is God-sized and make choices to honor it. Uh, and then support that with others and we'll have a happier healthier world for it
0: thank you so much sister michelle that is all uh, there's so much goodness in all of that thank you so much
1: you're welcome and it's been a delight to be with you
0: Michelle, thank you so much for joining me this week it's always such a treat to get to speak with you and it is such an honor to have you on the show as the last interview of season four if you guys want to find out more about the books that we talk about in this episode they're all listed with links out to them at jumpstartyourjoy.com forward slash adventure And I think there are like 10 books in that list. You can find them all there along with links to San Damiano. While you're on the website, you can also sign up for that newsletter, which comes out on Thursdays where I dig into the inspiration, intention, and action that I am gleaning or running with from each episode. So be sure and sign up next week on the show it's episode 199 and it is the end of season four can you believe it so as i like to do i will be doing a countdown episode of the top 10 most listened to slash most inspirational shows of season four I can't wait to share some of them with you and kind of go over some of the, my favorite aha moments in each of those shows. It's a lot of fun to pull together all of those highlights and then get to share them with you. And then of course, the following week is episode 200, where I'm going to talk about the things that I've learned in what is now five years of podcasting and, and 200 episodes. So be sure and tune in for that big finale. So that's what's in store. I hope you'll come on back next week for that countdown episode. And until then, I hope that your days are filled with so much joy.